0: I so the my first alcoholic drink. I think I was uh, walking over uh, the top of Ozzles Whistle with my father. a drink a shandy. I'd always seen him having a pint on his way home from work. I, I had a shandy with him. And then he went back inside. Uh, I nipped around uh, and drank a few of the, the the slots that were outside. It was always there. And they were all giddy walking back down to Ozzles Whistle. That was my first experience of drinking alcohol. My first experience of actually drinking alcohol when I was a little bit older. I didn't drink until I was about 15. There was a Christmas party back in the 1970s. And I had, had a drink at this party. It was like some kestrel. It isn't the same as they have today. We're only at a low percentage. But it got me drunk. I got very drunk. And uh, later on that evening, I finished up doing some stupid stuff. And everyone was having a laugh about it. And I couldn't remember a lot of it. I'd, uh, I'd set something on fire. before Christmas Eve. And I became a bit of a joker, really, when I had a drink. There were periods when I was younger where I didn't drink because I knew what it was like when I did take a drink. I worked in a factory, I've worked there all my life and uh, used to get an hour for your dinner back then and lads used to nip up to a pub. We used to go up for a bit of something to eat, chicken in a basket, you know, at a local pub in the 80s. And uh, sometimes I, I knew if I had one drink, I'd a pint of Guinness there, there were going to be two more down going back to work, singing and whistling for the rest of the afternoon on a Friday. So a lot of the time I chose not to because there's an obsession to have another one and, and you sort of crave it. I was 43 and that was the first time I'd ever lived on my own. I couldn't live with anybody else. I couldn't live with my parents by that time. I was just a tornado in their lives. When I took a drink, I, I were off. You know, The drink gave me the power. I'd be off. I did a lot of crazy, incredible and tragic things while I was drinking. I was very much the fool. Uh, that little fool was a lad, you know, acting the, acting the goat, you know. I were doing things and I was waking up and not remembering what I'd done Fair. for a good portion of the night. Only to get reminded by a couple of text messages, maybe by friends or, you know, strangers. My best way of checking the the progress through the day most of the time was uh, by that time I got a smartphone. was looking at the photos. I took of where I'd been. That that became my memory. Everyone used to comment I took a lot of photographs, but I don't think the oldest of I struggle with personal relationships, especially with girls. We're always after someone. Always after someone, Gary. A lot of the time, I'd, I'd stop things and I'd fix on food. When I can't drink, I'm looking for something else. That's what I would like most of the time. I look for food or look for sex, you know, fixed on lots and lots of things. The worst experience I had is I went on a trip, I think it was in 2011, and I went to climb some mountains in Scotland. They were very active, man. I like doing all sorts of stuff. But I used to go on, on crazy trips up to Scotland. And one day, I, I, I booked into a hotel with a friend of mine. I co-opted or manipulated someone to drive me all the way up there, and I would drink most of the time. And I, I videoed myself talking to myself in the mirror. And I didn't see this video for about two days later. And uh, I just deleted it. I did not like what I was hearing. It was like another person. Just like my girlfriend used to say years ago. She said, you're a lovely lad, Carl but when you drink, you murder. Things were happening in my life, and by 2012, I couldn't live on my own. I'd gone back to living with my father. My father was in his early 80s. I'd turned out to go to someone's wedding in Poland. I was thinking of going. and I didn't, because I'd, I got this other plan. I got this other idea. I had a lot of crazy ideas when I drank. My mind used to twist, and I, I never used to tell people what I was thinking. Most of the time in my life, I never did. And I had this idea in my head. I'd been watching lots of things on, on the internet. I thought the world was coming to an end. Oh, we're going crackers, really. And I set off on a trip. I went home via the Asda, got some more whiskey, carried on drinking and packed a rucksack. as another big bag. By early morning, I was leaving the house and saw my father and you know, just kissed him goodbye. And he just had that look in his eyes. It was our call going again. I'd left my dad. On New Year's Eve, 10 days later, I woke up on a dirty mattress. I hadn't woke up like in Preston or in Carlisle or somewhere else like i woke up before, hanging out with KFC, then in Kendall, or something like that. That Weren't that this time. I were on a dirty mattress on a rocky floor, and it was warm. There was a guy next to me, and my eyes opened, and I, I were like just terrified, bewildered, frustrated feeling pretty desperate, and I woke up next to a guy who were half-naked next to me, We the machete strapped to his leg. i lost all my money. I couldn't find my wallet. It were in a bag, and I'd lost my camera. I'd lost my phone, and this guy started waking up next to me. I woke up on a on little island, nearly 3,000 miles off the coast of uh, Chile, called Rapa Nui, in a three-sided shed with this guy. In and out, I've lots of vague memories of how I got there. I booked 31 days off work and uh, I decided to uh, head to where the world was going to end. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? But I believed it and I couldn't tell anyone. The day after, uh, with about $100 in my pocket in this cockroach-infested hotel on the edge of Angaroa in Easter Island, uh, and I got a phone call, because my phone had turned up. This guy had got my phone under his jacket. He'd got my glasses on. I got a phone call from my uncle and my father had had a stroke back in Lancashire. So I'm on Eastern Island, and my dad's over there. The only thing I wanted were a drink, which is what I did. I bought a round-the-world ticket, is what I'd done. I flew back to Santiago, went to New Zealand, stopped with some friends in Australia. Because I got a plan B for when the world comes went in. I always, uh, always had a plan B. And eventually I landed back in England and I had to face the music for the first time in my life. I had to have some responsibility for my father and my only child. I remember standing at that airport at Perth. I was terrified. I just didn't want to go home to poo with a 47-year-old. and I just didn't want to go home. And when I, I arrived home, I couldn't look after him. I was terrified. I booked time off work. And I finished up before they went into hospital, and he went into a care home, and my drinking took off like it had never took off before, and I hit rock bottom. I tried to stop sober uh, in October, but maybe me, me, I give it a go in September, and it failed. For the first time in my life, I couldn't do something, something that I I, I loved, and and it used to set me out myself. I couldn't stop drinking, and I was frightened. I tried it in, in September for four days. I couldn't do it. So I carried on drinking and I tried it in October. And each day in October, I had a rope in my hand around my neck, heading out to the house, terrified, of, you know, having to look after my father for the rest of my life. And I was also terrified of killing myself because I couldn't drink. And I thought I'd get it wrong. I went to my first meeting in, uh, on Friday in Accrington. I did a lot of crying in my first meeting and I saw some people in there and I saw some guys who have been drinking in Accrington for many years and and they were sober, people who were well-known drinkers and it frightened me. They carried a message to me that night. The day after I went to another meeting and I actually admitted I was an alcoholic and that's where my life changed. I threw myself into it just like I threw myself into everything else and and there's nothing I've never thrown myself into because I know my life depends on it. I weren't thinking of drinking, I was terrified of drinking, I was frightened of drinking because I didn't, I didn't want to die, I did not want to die, I wanted to live, but I, I kept going and after about two months I'd run away from a lot of local meetings, I would go into different meetings, you know, I'm an adventurer, I'm here, there and everywhere and before you know it, I was at a meeting in Preston and a guy came up to me and I if I wanted some help, I was terrified, I wouldn't ask anybody for anything, I am trying to do it on my own and uh, it took me through the 12 steps and uh, my life started to change almost instantly. Uh, I started to feel better about myself. I got involved with AA and it, it's been a good journey. I got involved with a lot of groups and started going around meeting a lot of people, met a lot of pretty fast friends. And some of them people who I've met, I, I can rely on to, to my kind to, uh, to think like me. I've just got a probation liaison position in the local intergroup of Alcoholics Anonymous. That sort of come about by a, a series of steps I, I got interested in. We have a book called Alcoholics Anonymous and we study this book to learn it to pass it on to other people. Uh, it's where the 12 steps are, are, are laid out. And uh, I went to a study in London and I got offered uh, a chance of going to a prison in the United States. My father had just died at the time. I buried him sober. I felt Perfectly all right. I've no major reaction when my mother died. And I, I finished up going to the United States, to California, to a prison. We were invited in to do some, some workshops, me and a, a friend of mine in the fellowship of AA. And an amazing experience. It was on the back of doing some work in some local prisons in Lancashire, which is, is very, very rewarding if if anyone ever gets a chance to do that. You really feel, feel useful trying to carry a message to people. I've been over about four times, and it's led me to a few different conferences uh, within the United States, and I've had some amazing experiences whilst over there. I thought my life were over back in the day, and it was in 2016, uh, I met those people from California, members of Alcoholics and Wellness Fellowship. they become very good friends of mine, friendly people, inviting and helped us to get accommodation over there and took us around, and the same thing happens when anyone comes from, from another country. There's a whole new uh, world in, in sobriety, and I didn't know it. I, I woke up to life. I'm trying to carry the message now into prisons. It's very, very rewarding. The first meeting we went to was there were over 240 murderers in the prison. It was a terrifying experience, but, you know, the third year I went, it were, we're greeted by a smile from these people. It were wonderful to see them, and uh, it was an experience I'll never, ever forget. To live without a drink's absolutely amazing. I've I've had my first of everything and I'm in my first relationship uh, with a, a beautiful woman who have asked to marry me. You know, I never thought them things would, would ever happen, Gary. Not 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 the mess I were. I managed to clean up my life. Clean it up. Hopefully I'm a better man today. Carl, like all of our other guests, you've chosen a piece of music. That means something to you. Do you want to tell us what that is and, and why you've chosen that particular piece? I like to keep things in the present day. Uh, you know, we live our program and our lives a day at a time in 24 hours. So keeping things fresh. Lots of songs have come into me my life when I've been in in recovery. The present one's very very important. It's one by Ellie Goldman called Army. It's such such a great song. I'm standing with a group of friends, and it means so much to me now so so much tonight I
1: know that I've been messed up you never let me give up all the nights and the fights and the blood and the breakups you're always there to call up I'm a pain I'm a child I'm afraid but yeah you understand yeah like no one can I know that we don't climb much but they don't stand a chance like us 16 and you never even judged me matter of fact always thought you were too cool for me sitting there in the caravan all the nights we've been drunk on the floor be yeah. Don't stand a chance because When I'm with you